All right, if you take God's precious word, we're in Hosea chapter 5, and God willing, we'll be expounding verses 8 through 10. If you haven't seen him, uh, Timothy Berkeley, Brother Timothy Berkeley is in church with us this morning. Raise your hand, Brother Timothy. And it's been years since he's been here. A lot of people don't know Brother Timothy, but uh, he used to be a member here long ago, and he came up here to see his mama for Mother's Day, and I'm so glad he came to visit with us. In last week's verses, we learned that when God releases the arrows of His judgment, Sonia, you're here. I would have asked you to sing if I'd have thought about it. I'm sorry, but it's good to have you here with us. When God releases His arrows of judgment, He does not recall them back into His quiver. There comes a time when it's too late to seek the Lord, to escape the judgment that's rightly due you. The time to get on the ark is when the door is open and not when it's closed and raining. Working with the court system, as I do, I've had the opportunity to sit in court and watch people be sentenced. They don't know what their sentence is going to be, but I've been there when it's been handed down to them by the judge. And I will tell you by experience that all the arguments, pleadings, and beggings for mercy are done before the sentence is passed, not after. Once that sentence is passed, it's done. It's over. Before that judge issues his sentence, he listens to the defendant. He listens, almost always it seems, to the defendant's mother, who gets up and tells him what really a good boy her son really is. He listens to all the defendant's character witnesses, He takes all of that into account before he hands down his sentence. But once that sentence has been handed down, the time to seek mercy is over. Once the sentence is passed, the judicial system must carry out the judge's order. That's the place that Israel was in at this time. The time had passed for them to make things right with God through His mercy. And the time had come for God to make things right with them through His judgment. Through the cross, God made things right through His mercy. But those who neglect the cross of Jesus Christ will have to be made right through God's judgment instead. When Jesus comes, the trumpet is going to sound. That's what the Bible says. And when that trumpet sounds, it's going to do two things. It's going to signal salvation... For those of us who placed our faith in Christ. And it's going to signal also the world's condemnation. It's going to signal salvation for us and condemnation for them. Once that trumpet sounds, the church will no longer be pleading for people to come to Jesus. The gospel message will be over. Because the church will no longer be here. When that trumpet sounds. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 31. If you're taking notes, write down your margin. Matthew 24, 31. Jesus said, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Once that trumpet sounds, all who rejected the mercy of God will receive the judgment of God. 
And in Hosea chapter 5, verse 8, where we are this morning, we see God passing His sentence upon Israel in the same manner, saying, if you look in verse 8, Blow ye the cornet in Gibeah. Blow ye the cornet in Gibeah. I played the cornet whenever I was in uh, band in junior high and uh, for one year. I was an amazing instrumentalist, by the way. But a cornet and a trumpet are virtually the same thing. There's just a slight variation between the two instruments. And the Hebrew word that's translated cornet here is also translated trumpet in other places in the Bible. So God is saying, blow the cornet in Gibeah, look back in your text, and the trumpet in Ramah. In other words, he's saying, pick up your instruments and sound the alarm in these places. The trumpet is being blown. These places, by the way, were located in the two southern uh, tribes of Judah, that conservative southern kingdom, uh, Judah and Benjamin, in those, in those tribes. And remember, the nation of Israel at this time had been divided into two kingdoms, the, the more liberal northern kingdom of Israel and the more conservative southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, here God is pronouncing His judgment upon the more conservative kingdom of Judah. That's where the trumpets are being blown. And if you remember back a few Sundays ago when we were reading uh, in, in God's Word in the previous verses, God warned Judah not to follow Israel's wicked ways. He said, if you do, you're going to fall just like them. Well, they did not take heed to God's warning. They followed Israel's wicked ways, and now the trumpet is being blown in their land. We're reading about the judgment that's coming upon them because they followed uh, their sister Israel's wicked ways. So God says, look back in your text, Cry aloud at Bethaven after thee, O Benjamin. Cry aloud at Bethaven after thee, O Benjamin. Now that's a rough translation, okay? That doesn't make a lot of sense to us when we read it. It's not a smooth translation. So let me try to smooth that out for you here. Benjamin is being put for the whole of the, the kingdom of Judah. Just as the man uh, Ephraim was put for the whole of the kingdom of Israel. Okay, Just as Israel sometimes, the man Israel was put for the whole of all the Jewish race. All right, And so Benjamin here, uh, when he says, After thee, O Benjamin, it's speaking after thee, the, the kingdom of Judah, you kingdom of Judah, is being told to cry out there at Bethaven and after thee, O Benjamin. Why? Because the enemy was coming after Benjamin. Does that make sense? The text says, after thee, O Benjamin, in a modern translation words it this way, let the horn be sounded in Gibeah and in Ramah. Give a loud cry in Bethaven. They are after you, O Benjamin. In other words, they're coming after you. The tribe of Benjamin was in trouble. Now they weren't experiencing trouble yet. That's the thing. They weren't experiencing trouble yet, but the enemy was coming after them nonetheless. Benjamin could only see the judgment uh, that lied ahead of them uh, by listening to God's Word, but they wouldn't listen to it. So they couldn't see the judgment coming ahead of them, but God saw that judgment marching after them. They are after you, O Benjamin. 
The foolish nation that we live in is in the same situation that Benjamin and Israel were in right then. We are like a drunken army. Y'all ever watched a movie where you got got uh, uh, soldiers around the campfire and they're drunk and they're playing their music and meanwhile it's at night and some of them are passing out and falling asleep and meanwhile their enemy is sneaking up through the woods on them and they're going to slaughter them. That's the way Benjamin was at this time. That's the way America is at this time. We can't see the enemy coming because of the blindness of our sin. And so he's telling them, the trumpet is sounded. The enemies are after you. They're on their way. God has warned us and warned us and warned us. Just like God warned them. Yet we continue to persist in our wicked ways, not seeing the judgment that lies ahead of us, but I'm telling you, it's coming. It's coming upon our country. Bible preachers, like the prophets in Hosea's time, they're beginning to sound and have already, in, their, in, in the Americans' ears, they sound like an old, broken record that's no longer worthy to be heard. Oh, we've heard that stuff so long, judgment and sin and condemnation. We've been hearing that since we were kids. And look, we're just fine. A man told me the other day, I, I called somebody and I was looking at moving one of my 401ks into uh, an, an annuity. I wanted to get something out of the stock market. And... Uh, not ever, I don't have everything out of the stock market, but I want to get something out of the stock market, independent of the stock market. And this person, this financial person said, well, I know the stock market's down, but uh, historically, it's always gone back up. I said, well, we're entering into a new phase in American history that we have never seen historically. So <laughs> I want it out. <laughs> Just do what I'm asking you to do. But we're, we're, we're at a time like we've never seen before. And preachers like me that are, that, are, that are sounding the alarm and that are telling people they need to repent, we sound foolish to them. We sound like crazy old Noah before the flood came. We scoff at the idea that we'll be judged for our sins, but make no mistake, they are after you, O oh America. They are after you. Yes, you are the more conservative kingdom, if you will, in the world, but you tolerated that which you should have condemned. Now you're celebrating that which you tolerated. And now God will no longer tolerate you. Now moving to the northern kingdom, God says, if you'll look in verse 9, Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. And again, as Benjamin represented the two tribes of the southern kingdom, now Ephraim represents the ten tribes of the northern kingdom. And God says, I am calling the trumpet to sound in the southern kingdom, being that more conservative kingdom, and thus the trumpet sound encompasses both kingdoms. Both Benjamin and Ephraim, or Judah and Israel. The northern kingdom is falling because of their sin. But the southern kingdom, lest they think they can get away with it, you blow the trumpet in their land. That's where the alarm will sound. God said, Ephraim, 
the ten northern tribes were going to be desolate. In other words, God was going to desolate them. He was going to bring them to ruin. And by blowing the trumpet, He was letting them know beforehand that judgment was on its way. It's surely going to come. He said, look back in your text. Among the tribes of Israel have I made known that which shall surely be. He didn't hide His law from His people. He didn't hide that judgment that was on its way. He made known that which would surely be. And God has done the same thing for America. He has blessed us with His Word. He blessed Israel with His Word. The nations around them didn't have the Word of God. But Israel did. They knew what was coming, but they rejected the warning. They rejected the word. And in the same way in America, all around the United States right now, there are churches like this one who are preaching the truth. Yes, there are many more who don't preach the truth, but there's still a remnant who do. And they're preaching the truth, and they're sounding the alarm, and people have grown deaf to the message Nevertheless, God says, I've made it known. You know about it. I've blown the trumpet. The enemy's coming after you. Don't look at me. It won't be my fault that you fell, America. It won't be my fault that you fell, Judah and Israel. God didn't hide His message from His people. He revealed His law to Israel. He sent His prophets to them over and over again to warn those who broke the law that judgment had come. He made known to them what would surely be. He made known to them the desolation that was coming. Now take your pens and underscore the words, the day of rebuke. You see that? The day of rebuke. The Hebrew word translated rebuke here, it means punishment. The day of punishment. So God is saying that there was a day of punishment that would surely come upon Israel. And when that day came, it would desolate or ruin their nation. Now remember, everything, yes, it's raining outside. Let's get over it. Let's get back to the message. Every time it rains like that, I see people go, all right. So back to the Word now. Everything that happened to Israel back then is a picture of what will happen to us when we face the same circumstances that Israel was in at that time. It's also a picture of, of, of how God will bless us or curse us depending on how we respond to Him as Israel did or did not do. But not only that. What happened to them back then is a picture of what will happen to us at the end of the world. You listening? What happened to them back then is a picture of what will happen to us, mankind, at the end of the world. Take your pens and write down in your margin or in your notes 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. <clears throat> Speaking of Israel, speaking of what happened to them, watch this. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples. That's an old way of saying examples or illustrations. All these things happen unto them for in samples and they are written for our admonition. In other words, the stories that you read in the Old Testament, they weren't written for them. 
They were written for us. They were pictures of what would happen to us. So when we're reading here in the book of Hosea, don't think, oh man, that's, that was a time long ago. That doesn't, that's not relevant to us today. No, it was written for us today. So he says, all these things happen to them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So as we are reading, do you still have that? Leave that up there, would you? As we are reading this scripture here, I want you to notice the ends of the world. Now we would think that it might say the end of the world, wouldn't we? But it doesn't say the end of the world. It says the ends of the world, plural. What is that all about? The ends of the world. As we're reading God's communication to them, we're reading God's communication to us. And as we're looking here at Paul saying the ends of the world, Paul is saying, talking about the ends of all the ages. The ends of the ages have come. The ages of human history which are divided like with Adam and the antediluvian, or that time before the flood, the time after the flood, the time before uh, they escaped from Egypt, the time after, and, and the time through uh, 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 Moses and Joshua and those different periods of history. That's, now we're at the ends of all those ages, and this is the final age of human history prior to Jesus' second coming. And having been born, all of us here, having been born after the time of Jesus' first coming, we are born in the time that all the ages before were pointing to. Now, if I had uh, a treasure map, then X marks the what? The spot, all right? Everyone knows that, all right? And I've never found one of those treasure maps. I always thought when I was a kid I'd find one. I'd find me some treasure. So here's the X. And here I am here, and I'm following this map. And when I get to the end of that map, I am now at the spot where I'm supposed to be. That's what it means when it says the ends of the world. It means that we have now arrived at the point that all those other ages before were pointing to. Make sense? Adam and Eve pointing here. Everything pointed here to where we are right now. We are born at the ends of the world. We have come to that place. God slaying the animals in the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve pointed to the time when God would send His Son to die. Abraham, offering his only begotten son, pointed to the time when God would offer his. Moses, delivering Israel from Egypt, pointed to the time when Jesus would deliver us from sin. Israel, entering the promised land, pointed to the time when we will enter the promise of our eternal life. But it doesn't all end that happy for everybody. The trumpet that sounds our deliverance sounds their condemnation. You see, Adam and his offspring, being thrust out of the Garden of Eden, pointed the time when unbelievers will be thrust out of the kingdom of God. Write this down to your margin, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verse 28. Jesus said, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, 
when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, in you yourselves thrust out. Ishmael, being separated from Isaac, was a picture of the time when Jesus would separate the wheat from the chaff. Which I did last night, by the way. I've got wheat growing in my backyard along my fence row. And when the heavy rains came, it uh, knocked over one of the heads of, of wheat. <clears throat> it bent it, and I thought, well, it's probably going to die that way. So I went ahead and cut that head of wheat off. I took it inside. Now, I think Brother uh, Rick, he's separated wheat from chaff before and eaten the wheat. But I took it inside. And I took those grains of wheat and I rolled them in my hand like that. And off comes that chaff. And I put them in a bowl and I let the water float. The, uh, if it was a bunch of grain, would use air or wind or something. I let the water get that chaff up to the top and I poured it off and I ate the, the wheat. I, and as I did, I found a couple of pieces of chaff that I didn't get quite off those berries. And I'd chew... And I'd go, spit it out. You know what I was doing though? All that time when Ishmael, Abraham's son, and Isaac, the son of promise that represented the saved, when Abraham sent Ishmael away, that was a picture, that, that was an age that pointed to the ends of time where we are today. We're at the time waiting for Jesus to come when the chaff and the wheat's going to be separated. That pointed to that time. Pharaoh, being overcome by Moses, pointed to the time when Satan would be overcome by Jesus. And here in our text in Hosea today, the unbelieving Israelites being driven from the promised land points to the time when the unbelieving hypocrites will be driven from the church and judged at the end of the world. We have all these religious people today, just like Israel was then. Is the Israelites were idolaters. The Israelites had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. They, they had the temple. They, 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 they pretended to worship God in some sense, but it was all corrupt and mixed in with worship of false gods or, or the absolute rejection of God altogether. Yet they fancied themselves to be very religious people. But when they got judged and they got driven from that promised land, it was a picture of the religious corrupted world. And by the way, when you study the book of the Revelation, the world's going to be a very religious place when that time comes. Very religious It'll be a secular religion, but it'll be religion nonetheless. And those people are going to think, we've overcome. We've arrived. We have finally built the society to end all societies. And God says, no, my kingdom's coming, and they'll be cast away. They'll be driven from the promise, and those who thought that they would live forever and be uh, uh, accepted into heaven and all the things that people think, no. They would be separated. 
All these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of those ages have come. Here's a kingdom truth for you this morning. As we are learning about their history as the sons of Abraham, we are learning about our future as the sons of Adam. I'm going to say that again. As we are learning about their history as the sons of Abraham, we are learning about our future as the sons of Adam. So when we read about the day of rebuke or the day of punishment in this verse, which happened in their age of human history, it is pointing to the day of the Lord, which will happen in our age of human history at the end of this present age, at the end of the world. Joel chapter 1 Verse 15, spoke of this time. Doesn't call it the day of rebuke, but it is. He's called the day of the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. God said, in the day of rebuke, I will desolate you. You will be desolate. And here Joel is talking about that same time called the day of the Lord here in his prophecy. And it's the, the same thing, the destruction or the desolation of the Almighty. Same thing. So when we see God blowing the trumpet against these religious hypocrites in Israel, He is blowing the trumpet against all the religious hypocrites in the church who have kicked aside God's Word and let wickedness into the place where only Christ alone should be named. Hosea said, verse 10, The princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound. You hearing that? The princes of Judah, the leaders of Judah, were like them that removed the bound. What is the bound? The bound was God's Word. Now here's the Holy Bible. And that Holy Bible as a nation, every nation has to base their beliefs on something. Whether it's communism, humanism, whatever. You've got to have some basis of right and wrong. You have to. You say, well, I think we should have free thought. I think that there shouldn't be any rules of what's right or wrong. Every man should just decide what's right or wrong for them. That's true freedom. You think so? Well, what if I decide it's right for me to kill you? I'm wearing a gun right now. Several of us in here wearing a gun. Why if we all just decided, you know what? I think it would be good if we were to purge some of the membership here. Would you think that would be good? No. But how do you know it's bad? You see, there has to be some clear defining line. So, is it good to kill a newborn baby? Well, what if we back it up just a few hours, right before it comes out of the womb? Is it good to kill them then? What if we back it up a few months? Is it good to kill them then? You see, where do you define things? There has to be something that tells us what's right and what's wrong. You say, well, I think we should be able to do A, B, and C. Well, okay, well, what if I go over to your house today and I decide I want your car? Well, that's, that's good for me. I, to me, that's moral. Because you have plenty. You have more than I do. Maybe I should go and take your stuff. We'll have it all equal. You see, there has to be some defining way. What is a mom? This is Mother's Day. What is a mom? <laughs> Brother Doug was teasing with Rick this morning. He wished Rick happy Mother's Day. I'm sure Rick was thinking, well, I'll do the best I can. But 
But, you know, we laugh at that. But what defines a mother and what defines a father? If you all remember, the, one of the most recent, if not the most recent, Supreme Court judge, when she was being uh, interviewed by the Senate, they asked her if she knew what a woman was. How many of you all saw that video? And she says, I can't tell you what a woman is. I'm not a biologist. Well, my, my question would be, well, are you a woman? <laughs> and if she says, I don't know, then we'd all have problems. If she said, yes, I'd say, well, then how do you know you're a woman? You're not a biologist. How do you know you're a woman? It's absurd. But you see what happens when you kick aside any type of truth. The Bible says God made them male and female. That's truth. God said Judah is like the person who removes the bound. Alright? Now, at my house, in my backyard, I've got a fence. That's the boundary for my home. In that fence, my chickens roam. In that fence, my dog goes. In that fence, I've got my garden. Next door to me, there was a man with his children jumping on the trampoline yesterday. Guess what? They're not jumping on the trampoline in my yard. I don't want all that noise. He can have that in his yard. I don't want my neighbor's pit bulldog on the other side of me in my yard. Stay in your yard. Now, what would I think if my neighbor came and just started tearing down my fence. And suddenly everything just goes. Now I've lost the boundary. I've lost my place. And he says, that's the way Judah is. The leaders of Judah, the rulers of Judah. They're like the person who takes the boundary and removes it. You see, a boundary keeps my good secure. A boundary keeps the enemies out. It keeps the people out. It keeps my stuff secure in its place so I can enjoy it and, and walk into my yard in the privacy of, of, of my property that I own. This Bible here is the boundary. It's supposed, it was supposed to have been the boundary for our country. Built upon God's Word. Built upon some type of principle. And once the nation, the leaders of the nation start removing that boundary. They're tearing the fence down. And now suddenly the floodgate opens to all this sin, all this vile thinking. And suddenly everything now can be stolen from you and taken away. They're like the one who removed the bound. Now it's the rulers of Judah. Now I want you to think about the church. This Bible is the only thing that keeps sin out of, these, out, of, out of these pews, that keeps wicked people out of these pews. If people came in here and they did not believe like us, they didn't accept God's Word as truth. They didn't accept God's Son as the way, the truth, and the life, and that through Him no one could come to the Father. If they didn't accept those things that are in God's Word here, Yet we pushed this aside and allowed them to join. Do you realize that they could then take over? 
This could then be their building. And just like in Austin, Texas the other day, they had a drag queen uh, 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 show, a contest in one of the Methodist churches. Do you know how that happened? How that happened was the leaders of Judah removed the bound. This Bible is a check. It's a boundary at the doors of this church. No one can join. Now, any person can come in and listen. I'll preach to anybody. I'll tell a sinner how bad they are if they want to hear it, you know. But this Bible is the boundary that allows anyone to enter into this church. They have to go through this word. And they have to say, I adhere to the word of God. I accept this is my standard. I accept his son as my way into heaven. In him alone. There you go. Welcome in. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And so the Bible and the gospel is the boundary that keeps the unbelievers out and keeps the believers in. If the leaders of the churches take the Bible and set it aside, they've removed the boundary and now the church becomes polluted. The gospel becomes corrupted. And that is why we had the drag queen show at the Methodist church. That is why so many uh, uh, so-called Christians in our, in our main denominational churches are against the nation of Israel right now. That is why we've got women preaching in the pulpits. That is why we have fallen as far as we've fallen because the leaders of Judah have removed the bounds. The Bible's been kicked to the side in our nation. The Bible's been kicked to the side in our churches. The Bible, sadly, is being kicked to the side in our homes. At best, it may be a decorative piece on the coffee table in the kitchen or in the, in the living room or something. But that's about it. It's being kicked to the side. He said, they're like the ones who've removed the bounds. Therefore, look back in your text, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. Funny we had all that rain. I couldn't help but think of this. I knew where the text was coming to. When I heard all that rain pouring down, I couldn't think, uh, help but think of God's wrath being poured out like water. The day of the Lord is called the great day of His wrath in the book of the Revelation. That's the day of rebuke that's being pointed to here in the book of Hosea. And on that day, God is going to empty the bucket upon this wicked world until every drop has fallen. Right now, the ends of all the ages have been pointing to this time. We're waiting on Christ to come. The trumpet is being sounded. And all the vileness is being heaped up and God's wrath is being brought up to the top of this bucket, if you will. Because the boundary's been removed. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He knows it's going to be a bad time. And as we move further and further away from the faith of God, that bucket's going to get more and more full till finally it's going to be time for him to pour it out. 
That's called the day of rebuke, the day of the Lord, the great day of His wrath. It's all the same. But that's what we're reading about here in the book of Hosea. And when that time comes, the trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will rise. The wheat will be separated from the chaff. And the bucket will be empty. As God pours out His wrath upon this unbelieving world. The question is, will you be the wheat or will you be the chaff? There are people who are here who may have been raised in church, but have you come through Jesus Christ into the church? There are hypocrites in every church. There are people who don't belong there, like wheat and chaff, and they are tares and wheat, and they grow up together and all those things, and I've got tares and wheat in my yard too. I've got wheat coming up, and I've got weeds right next to them, just like the Bible talks about. And if I start pulling one up, then the other's going to get pulled up. So you have to let them stay until it's harvest time. So you don't kill off the wheat. So you just let them stay. And God's letting them stay. You've got wheat and chaff in every church. The way to be the wheat, the way to truly belong to God's church is not to attend it physically, but to enter it spiritually through faith in the Savior who died for you. That is the way to enter into God's church. Have you accepted God's word as his truth to you and his son as the way that you will escape God's coming judgment and accept and enter into the promise of the eternal life he gives us in Jesus Christ? That's the question I need to ask you because the day of his wrath is coming. That bucket's going to be poured out. But I don't have to worry about that. Because 2,000 years ago, that bucket got poured out on Jesus. You see? And so the bucket's dry for me, Brother Doug. There's not one drop left in that bucket for me. But if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, the bucket's still full. And the day's going to come when that bucket's going to be poured out. He says, you've removed the bound... And I'm going to pour out my wrath like water. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. I thank you for your Son, upon whom you have poured out your wrath already. I thank you, Father, that on the basis of his death and sacrifice for me, I can face the day when that trumpet will blow. I can know, Father, there is no wrath in the bucket for me. It's been poured out on Jesus already. But Father, I pray, Lord, for those who may be here this morning. I do not know everyone's heart, only you do. But if there be any here today who have not accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray, Father, they'll come to know Him before it's eternally too late. And I pray that you'll prepare our hearts, Lord, We, Father, who've been born at the end of all the ages that the ages before us have pointed to, we are now in that time, Lord, when we await the day when that trumpet will sound. And, Father, I pray that until that time comes or until you call us uh, uh, through death, Lord, to, to be with you, that we will live faithful unto him who died for us and rose again.
We pray in his precious name.